0: So we're we're in our Revelation series, and today is Revelation five. So I'm gonna read the passage. You can read along on screen, uh, or you can listen, or you can do both, however you like to hear this. So this is Revelation five. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat in the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased For God, persons from every tribe and language and nation and people, you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands, 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Well, we've got another Bible project video talking about this section here and uh, to help you see what's going on. And so, so here we go, enjoy.
1: And so this opening section, it sets up the main plot tension that will drive the storyline in this book. Will Jesus' people endure? Will they inherit the new world that God has in store? And why is faithfulness to Jesus described as conquering? The rest of the book is John's answer. After this, John has a vision of God's heavenly throne room and he describes it with imagery drawn from many Old Testament prophets. Surrounding God are creatures and elders that represent all creation and human nations and they are giving honor and allegiance to the one true creator God who is holy, holy, holy. In God's hand is a scroll that's closed up with seven wax seals. It symbolizes the message of the Old Testament prophets and the sealed scroll of Daniel's visions. These are all about how God's kingdom will come here fully on earth as in heaven. But, it turns out, no one is able to open the scroll. Until John hears of someone who can. It's the lion from the tribe of Judah and the root of David. He can open it. These are classic Old Testament descriptions of the messianic king who would bring God's kingdom through military conquest. Now, that's what John hears. But then, what he turns and sees is not an aggressive Lion King, but a sacrificed bloody Lamb who is alive, standing there, and ready to open the scroll. Now, this symbol of Jesus as the slain Lamb, this is crucially important for understanding the book. John's saying that the Old Testament promise of God's future victorious kingdom was inaugurated through the crucified Messiah. Jesus overcame his enemies by dying for them as the true Passover Lamb so that they could be redeemed. Because of the resurrection, Jesus' death on the cross was not a defeat. It was his enthronement. It was the way he conquered evil. And so this vision concludes with the lamb alongside the one sitting on the throne. And together they are worshipped as the one true creator and redeemer. And the slain lamb begins to open the scroll. It's a symbol of his divine authority to guide history to its conclusion.
0: What happens? There we go. Who is worthy? That is the fundamental question at the center of Revelation five. Now, if we're gonna talk about who is worthy, we are gonna go to the definitive source on the subject. Mjolnir. Now, for those who don't know Mjolnir, this is is the mythical hammer yielded by Thor in the Marvel comic books, in the MCU, and originally in North, North, Norse mythology. And, and uh, Mjolnir came with a lot of powers, not the least of which is to return to the one who throws it. <laughs> I am worthy. I've been practicing that all morning. <laughs> <laughs> so, see Mjolnir had this famous inscription on it. And if you look really carefully, you can see this. Yeah, okay. Look really carefully, you can see the inscription. Copyright Marvel made in China. No, okay, wrong inscription. The right inscription says this. Whoever holds this hammer, if they be worthy, shall possess the power of Thor. And because of this inscription, someone who is not worthy, Only people who are worthy can pick up this hammer. And now see, this has led to some incredible moments in the MCU, if you've you've watched any of the MCU, um, any of the movies, well, so there was Vision casually picking up the the hammer and handing it to Thor to the shock of everybody. And then there's the incredible scene in Endgame with Captain America yielding Thor and then attacking Thanos. And we all just collectively lost our minds at that moment. And then there's the trailer for the new Thor Love and Thunder with Natalie Portman as mighty Thor. (gasps) Yeah. So the inscription had to change. It used to say, he who is worthy. Uh, See now it's they who are worthy. So way to go Jane. So now it also created some very funny moments in the MCU. So there was Tony and the rest of the Avengers trying to pick up Mjolnir just casually sitting on a table. And then it starts raising all these other questions. There was, how about Hulk getting uh, Mjolnir thrown at him, flinging across the room and to the floor, and he, and Hulk is stuck on the floor because of a little hammer. Or my favorite is Loki getting beat down by Thor, and he just takes the hammer and sets it on his chest and says, stay. And he stays. (laughs) And then this inscription has also created some quite curious moments and, and thought exercises in the MCU. So for instance, if we had a crossover, could Superman lift Mjolnir? Maybe. What if two worthy people call Mjolnir back? Is he just gonna be like, Who, who will he go to? But probably my favorite one. So if Thor picked up Mjolnir and Hulk picked up Thor, then does that mean Hulk is picking up Mjolnir? See, I know. Well, aside from Marvel geekdom, which I've probably demonstrated far too much of, This question is something that we actually ask quite often in life. We make worthiness questions, we ask them constantly. Is this salary worth my time? Is this person worth my loyalty and my attention? Is this Lego set worth my money? And the answer is yes, always. See, In fact, you make worthiness determinations every day. In fact, every little decision you make is a worthiness calculation. Because you make decisions to decide whether something is worthy of something that you can give. And now sometimes, sometimes you pick things that are worthy of your time, your talents, or your money that house that you love, that job that inspires you, or that mattress that gives you just a glorious night of sleep. Don't underestimate a good mattress. But you know, other times, we pick things that aren't very good worthiness decisions. Things that, in truth, aren't worthy of our time, our talents, or our money. And if we're honest, if we're brutally honest, we're pretty bad at making worthiness decisions. That relationship that turned really unhealthy, that your friends could see the warning signs long before you did. That hobby that turned into an addiction or that job that just drains the life out of you, but you took because the money was good. See, we, we make bad worthiness decisions pretty often. And those bad decisions, considering something that is worthy that really isn't, usually comes with pain, loss, and heartache. So how can we make better decisions about what is worthy of our time, our money, our relationships, even our very lives. How can we make better worthiness decisions? Well, thankfully, we don't have to answer that question ourselves. Revelation 5 is all about this question. This very issue, who is worthy? So chapter 5 is a continuation of chapter 4 that we talked about last week. So if, if, you, if you were here last week, you watched online, or maybe you watched it during the week, this is the continuation, this is one long scene. And, and so here we see the full picture. The throne was last week, and the lamb is this week. And like I said last week, now that we have the complete picture, the throne and the lamb are the central and centering image for the entire book of Revelation. Everything else in the book should be seen through the lens of the throne and the lamb. And the minute you lose sight of these, you've lost the book. So just to give you a little bit of perspective here. So I created a little infographic for you. So the word throne appears 43 times in the book of Revelation the word lamb appears 28. Now, that's pretty impressive considering there are only 21 chapters in the book. That means throne is appearing on average over two times a chapter. And lamb is appearing in nearly on average every chapter, even more. Now, in contrast, here's a couple other really common words about end times in Revelation, okay? Millennium appears Six times. Tribulation? Once. And rapture? Zero. You think maybe left behind had their priorities wrong? They had an entire dynasty based off very unimportant things in the book of Revelation. The throne and the lamb. So let's dive in. So this chapter contains an incredible little mini drama in it. And we're gonna see that over and over again. The first few chapters were kind of narrative, like storytelling, but here it's like we're living through this drama. And here it begins with a scroll. And an angel says, who is worthy to break the seal on this scroll? Who is worthy to open this scroll? Now, you might notice that this scroll only has one seal on it, and the passage talks about seven seals. You have to come back next week to find out why you're only seeing one seal here, because next week we find out in the next few chapters. So this angel says, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? So what is this scroll? Truth is, we don't know. The passage doesn't tell us. But if you take that question and compare it to the next few chapters and then go back to the book of Daniel and the scroll that's talked about back then, we've got a pretty good picture that this scroll represents God's redemptive plan to offer salvation, restoration, and judgment on earth. And and so... Who is worthy? Who is worthy to execute God's sovereign redemptive plan? That's the question. When it says who is worthy, who is worthy to execute God's plan of justice, restoration, and punishment? Well, who is worthy? They can't find anyone. They can't find anyone anywhere. Up there, over there, down there, over there. Nope, nowhere. So whatever this scroll is, it is so important. It brought John to tears that nobody could open it. There is such a drama. And this isn't just crying. That this word, this Greek word is wailing crying upon crying, we're talking, snot running down your nose, can't breathe, the whole bit. That's the level of sorrow John was experiencing. So whatever this is, it is really important that it be opened. So now this, what in that moment, that is fear. That is sorrow, that is desperation, that is panic. And then one of the elders reassures him, yes, there is someone who can open this scroll. This person has triumphed, and that's an amazing word. In Greek, that word is nikao. it's a verb that means to triumph, to conquer, to be victorious. If you're wearing Nikes right now, that's what, th- this is the Greek word that those are named after. So you are wearing little victory on your feet or your shirt or your underwear, whatever you're into. But so when you see that word triumph, victorious, that is, that's the same word of conquer. So he says, yes, the lion of Judah, the root of David, He, he is worthy. Now both of these are Old Testament prophetic messiah names. And they're a couple of the biggest names for the promised messiah. So first the lion of the tribe of Judah, So this comes out of Genesis. This, This name comes from a scene where the Israel patriarch Jacob is blessing all of his sons. And these sons will come to represent the 12 tribes or 12 clans of the Israelites. And so these 12 tribes are his sons. And when he gets to the son named Judah, he says this. You are a lion's cub, Judah. The scepter will not depart from Judah until he to whom it belongs shall come. And there's a little bit more in there as well. But this is a prophecy to say that Judah is the royal clan. The king will come from the clan of Judah. And then the promised one. The promised Messiah will come from this clan. And this clan, this name represents, again, this is a royal clan. So this is, this is the person as A king, a mighty, strong king who will free Israel from slavery and oppression and restore the land and restore the temple. That's the mighty king, the Lion of Judah. Now, the next name, the Root of David. Now, this name comes from David, Israel's greatest king. And and God promised David that, that Israel's perfect king David might have been their best king, but God promised a perfect king would come from his family line. And and you can picture this. It's a family tree. That's where this metaphor comes from, the root of David. And somewhere up that family tree is Israel's perfect king. So out of 2 Samuel, it says, Um, When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring, speaking to David, to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. So both of these, both of these, the Lion of Judah and the Root of David, these are powerful kingly names, conquering, strong, mighty kings. And then, this strong, conquering, mighty king is revealed. And it's a baby sheep. Not just any baby sheep, but one that had been slaughtered. This is perhaps the greatest reversal in all of scripture, with the possible exception of Jesus being resurrected, because this Nobody expected this. In this drama, this was not the setup. This was not what people expected. This is shocking. How is this possible? Okay, forget the question of of being worthy or not. How can a slaughtered baby sheep be conquering? Isn't being killed the exact opposite of being conquering and victorious. That's not what I think about when I think about my Nikes. Now this is defeat. See, it makes no sense. So it kind of reminds me when I tell people that I pastor among church, they're always a little confused and I can see it in their eyes. They kind of get a little furrowed brow, or maybe they they look me up and down, and they're like, oh, "Huh?" And 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 maybe they stumble through their first question, and and I know what they really want to say, huh? Wait, are you sure? I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, pretty sure." But you're not wrong. What? How come no one told me this? <laughs> It's a wonderful moment. I love watching the people try to understand and reconcile this white guy pastoring a Hmong church. Now, take that level of confusion and multiply it by a gazillion. Okay, so many questions at this point. So many questions. First, why a lamb? Of all the things, of all the Things that were worthy of opening the scroll of God's redemptive plan. Why a lamb? Well, this image draws off two significant Old Testament passages. So the first one is in the the Exodus story, the Passover lamb. This is the lamb in the final plague, the death of the firstborn. This is the lamb whose blood was, was painted on the doorposts which would signify the people, the Israelites, for whom the spirit of death would pass over and save. One of the early precursors to Jesus. So this Passover lamb and Passover became a ceremony that they remembered and celebrated every year. The second is is likely out of Isaiah 53. This is a section called the suffering servant it's one of the great Messianic chapters in the whole Old Testament. And this passage talks about this servant, unnamed, unidentified, but this servant would be led like a lamb to the me, like a lamb to the slaughter. See, these were such significant Messiah passages that when John the Baptist saw Jesus for the first time as adults, he declares, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But this one, this was no ordinary lamb. He stood at the throne. Only God's supposed to sit there. He was surrounded by the elders and the living creatures, just like God. And then he did the thing nobody in all creation could do. He picked up the scroll from God. Nobody else was worthy, not even the angels, not even the elders, but he picked up the scroll. And then an all out worship session breaks out So this leads to the next question of what makes the lamb worthy? What makes the lamb worthy? Well, the elders and the living creatures answer this in their first song. Here's what they sing. I will not be singing it for all of your survival. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God's for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth so why is the lamb Jesus worthy he was slaughtered he ransomed people for God that that word purchase that's the same word for buying a slave's freedom. So when you say redeemed, that's literally what it means. That Jesus purchased our freedom. How? By his blood. For whom? People from all nations and languages and cultures and skin colors and sizes and ages and shapes. And he takes all of those people and he turns them into priests. He turns them into kings. And he says that they will reign on earth. Then the worship session continues. It just continues with 10,000 times 10,000. Think about that. That is a lot of angels. That's about, that is a hundred million angels at minimum, but really it was a lot more because that language of of 70 times seven, 10,000 times 10,000, it's not actually meant to be punched out on your calculator. That's a way to describe gazillions of angels. And they sing worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. The slain lamb is the only one who is worthy. And if that wasn't big enough for you, it gets bigger. Every creature, every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea, they start crying out to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Think about that for a second. Every creature, every creature praising God. Dogs, yes. Giraffes, yes, they sing the high notes. Fluffy bunnies, yes. Monkeys, yes. Mosquitoes, no, because they're satanic. No mosquitoes in heaven. Now, you ever wonder how many there is there? Well, I don't know back then, but scientists estimate that there are 20 quintillion animals and creatures on earth. That is 20 billion billion. All praising Jesus. This doesn't even begin to answer the question of, are the animals talking? Are they singing? Do they have a nice voice? I don't know. But they are. They're praising Jesus. That's what John saw. And why are they praising Jesus? Because only he is worthy of it. So, Jesus, the crucified and resurrected lion lamb, is the only one worthy of carrying out God's redemptive plan and God's judgment and God's justice for the world. Jesus is the only one worthy of worship. He is the only one worthy of our worship because he saved us and paid the price for our freedom. Jesus is the only one worthy. Does your life reflect that? If somebody watched you for a week, would they say, yeah, Jesus is the most important thing to them. What have you determined is worthy of your worship, your power, your wealth, your strength? What have you determined is worthy of your wisdom, your honor, your glory, your power, Those are all things that this passage says belong to Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean we can't give our wealth to help someone in need, or our strength to help a friend who's down, or our wisdom to a niece or nephew who needs some help with a decision. It doesn't mean we can't do that, but what it does mean is that Jesus is the only one who is worthy of receiving that first. Remember what I said earlier that we tend to not make very good worthiness decisions. We constantly strive after stuff that is not worth it, not worthy of us. And I can almost guarantee there is something on that list, something on that list that you are giving to something that is not worthy of it. Every one of us in this room, every one of you watching online, there is something on this list that we are giving ourselves to that is not worth it. They are not worthy of it. But you know, there's one more thing on this that isn't on this list. There's one more thing, but it is as important. It is even more important than any of these. See, this, this is something that only Jesus is worthy of getting. Everything else you give it to over promises and underdelivers. Everything else you give this to will let you down because nothing else is worthy of it. So what is that? It's you. What have you determined is worthy of you? Only give what is worthy you to the one who is worthy Jesus Jesus has made you a king, a queen. He has made you a priest. He has made you royalty to reign. He has purchased you. He has freed you. You are worthy. Jesus is the only one worthy to give salvation and judgment to the world. He's the only one worthy of holding your future in his hand. He is the only one who can rescue and redeem you. So what are you giving yourself to? There are a lot of good things in this world. There are also a lot of not so good things. And we give ourselves sometimes to good things, sometimes to bad things. But there's only one who is worthy, and that's Jesus. Join me in prayer. Jesus Christ, you are worthy. You alone are worthy. There's nothing else, there's nobody else in our lives that are worth our lives. But you died for us. You paid the price to free us. You give us eternal life, not just by the skin of our teeth, not just to live a low life, Lord, but to be royalty with you. Jesus Christ you are worthy Lord save us from the unworthy things save us from the things that will take from us save us from the people that will use us save us from the things that will overpromise and underdeliver draw our hearts to you Jesus you are the only one worthy. That's why we pray to you and in your name. Amen.